I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Julie Rame. She's the Chief Marketing and Experience Officer at Party City. And we talk about 2020 and the pandemic, and the number of pivots that the business had to achieve and go through, the number of really opportunistic things that they launched from buy online to pick up in store to same-day delivery through a number of connections that she had in the automotive industry to developing a party planner network, new content, itineraries for people to use their party supplies so that you can deliver the experience you're looking for, not just the products and so much more. But we start the conversation off on talking about her path and it's an untraditional path in many ways to the chief marketing and experiencing officer post. But I hope you enjoy this conversation with Julie Rame. Well, Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Well, I know you are no stranger to podcast. Unlike many of my guests, you've got your own. So tell me, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about the Conversational Podcast. Yeah. So the Conversational Podcast is something that I I created really, gosh, it's been about a year and a half, maybe two years now almost. I was just finishing up the last, the company that I was with prior to Party City was a uh, private equity held company called Abra Auto Body and Glass, very sexy automotive collision business. 
And um, we were able to, in about 18 months, flip that company. We're really proud of the work we did there. But basically, you know, I was I was helping to integrate the company, the new company. And, you know, I wasn't in any necessarily big hurry to, to get the next gig. I was kind of looking forward to a little time off. And so I thought, you know, one of the things I want to I want to spend some time doing is something that I've really never had time to do. And this seems like a perfect opportunity. And that is to do a podcast specifically talking to people that I've had the opportunity to meet over my my now very long career. And the benefit of, I think, maybe have been having been on the client side or having had executive level positions for me was that I got to meet a lot of really interesting, fabulous people on panels and, you know, in meetings and just sort of in the course of work and, and over multiple decades now. But I got to know them on a personal level. So whether it was coffee or like behind, you know, backstage at some event or what have you, you get to really learn about people. And what was always struck me as being true is that all the people that I have met, regardless of the level of success that they had, all found their success in a path that was not necessarily designed. And what I mean by that is I dedicate my I dedicate my podcast to life's Hoshi mode, holy shit moments. I kind of created this little before. because every single one of us have had at least one. For me, I've had lots of uh, holy shit moments. But what they have done is they've they've definitely defined my path. And sometimes they're career holy shit moments, sometimes they're personal they're, or a combination of the two. But it's those that really, I think, test us and that without having had them, we wouldn't be where we are. And so I always look at them as an opportunity to just readdress you know, where we are and to use it as an opportunity rather than viewing it as an obstacle. And I just thought if other people could hear these fabulous stories from these other really successful people that I've had the pleasure of getting to know, and they could hear that it's it's a very common occurrence to have these holy shit moments and to use them to your advantage rather than to use them to dissuade you, then maybe that would inspire others to continue forward and to to not be dejected and disenchanted, but to instead see those as something that was put in your path on purpose to maybe guide you in a different direction. That is ultimately where you're going to find the greatest success in life. So that's that's what the conversational is dedicated to. I love it. I love it. And at Kindred Spirits, in some respects, uh, having long form interviews with folks just to try to understand their career, their background, their experience. So I'm a fan already just by how you described it. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah, I can take all fans. So, you know, it's a non for profit. I don't do it. Too. It's, it's purely fun. I don't. In fact, I spend more money than I ever will make. But uh, that's that wasn't the point. It was not a, it was not a commerce opportunity. So but I would appreciate all the listeners I can get. It's good feedback. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about your path and and your path to becoming the chief marketing experience officer at Party City. You talked about Abra Automotive and Glass, yeah, Auto Body and Glass. But where'd you get started? And then kind of, if you don't mind hitting a few of the highlights there. Yeah, you got it, of course. So I definitely had the path less taken. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. And it started off, I was... You know, I always go like way back because I always feel like, you know, who we are is defined. It's in fact, the first question I ask on my podcast is tell me where you were born, where you were born, what your parents did, and because I really feel like that does make a difference. So I won't go through the whole belabored story, but I was I was a born in the Midwest, parents who were for five generations, both sides of the family were born and raised in the same town in Wisconsin. So when my dad um, was the first in his family to have a college degree, moved out, went into sales, we moved all over the place. And then when they were moving once 
once again, it was like the seventh or eighth time, maybe that they were, maybe it was ninth even, I don't know, it was a lot, that they were moving was the summer before my senior year in high school. And I'm the oldest that I was telling. And they were moving and I was like, no, I want to finish high school in one place. Cause we, this last place we'd moved, which happened to be in Cincinnati, we'd moved the summer before my freshman year. So I had the opportunity to like finish a section of school and it was very exciting. So I stayed in Cincinnati, lived with friends, finished high school and then went to Purdue. And I went to Purdue because people, the counselors at schools, this is like, you know, I'm old now. So it was like, they were just like, well, you know, you take an actual test and it's like, be a teacher or a social worker. And, you know, that didn't make sense for me so much that they're noble, but it just didn't, it just wasn't really fitting into my strengths. And so they said, well, you're really good in math and science. You should be an engineer. And I was like, okay, I had no idea really what an engineer did. I was like, but you know, can they make a good living? Oh yeah. Okay, great. Well, what are the top five engineering programs in the country? Okay. Well, they rattled them off. And so I applied to them and I got into Purdue. So I went to Purdue and I started off in, in, in these like weed out classes your freshman year at Purdue. It's one of those situations where they're like, okay, look to the right, look to the left. Okay. At the end of the semester, only one of you will be here. That was that kind of scenario. And so I finished actually fairly well. I was well-prepared and finished pretty well my freshman year. And so then they were like, okay, now you have to choose an engineering. So like that was like engineering 101. Now you have to choose. And I was like, well, I don't know. So I chose civil engineering because civil engineering has like eight different disciplines beneath it. There's structural engineering and environmental engineering and hydraulic engineering and geoengineering, like all these different. So I thought, well, I'll do that because that still buys me more time to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I ended up majoring in environmental engineering. And my grades were such that I was offered an opportunity to join the co-op program, which was you had to give up every other semester of your career, of your college career to be going to work for the same company. So your undergraduate career would turn into five years instead of four. And obviously you'd be thrown off the sequence with your, you know, your classmates, which was kind of a bummer, but I did it. And I worked for Bristol Myers Squibb. So of course, then after, you know, everybody in class is being scared because it's, you know, only one out of three of us is going to make it. It was really the decision of, well, what do I do now? So I actually did pretty well, but they, I finished the freshman year doing pretty well. And then they make you choose, well, what discipline are you actually, what engineering kind of, you know, there's mechanical, there's chemical, there's civil, what are you going to actually do? And I was like, I still didn't know. Like, I don't know how anybody, like, I think it's crazy to put so much pressure on kids. I just certainly didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, I chose civil engineering because within civil engineering, there's multiple kinds. There's an environmental engineering, a structural engineering, construction, and geo. There's, there's so many different types. And I thought, well, that will buy me some cover for a while because then, you know, I can kind of figure it out and then choose within. So I ended up choosing environmental engineering and my grades were such that I was one of those who was chosen to be part of this co-op program. And the co-op program, you basically get hooked up, you go into an interview with companies and they can choose to hire you. And now you're committed to working for them every other semester, including summers for the next four years. So now your undergraduate career goes from four years to five years, but you get like two years of real experience, which I thought was great. And, and you know, in hindsight, it was really good because what I learned after having worked with Bristol Myers Squibb, outside of having met my husband there, which is, I did meet him there. I really learned that I didn't want to be an engineer. I could do it, it was fine, but I was kind of bored with it. Not because it was easy, but because I just wasn't stimulated by it. And I really love being in the meetings that had the business people in them. And so I thought, you know, what I'll do is I will just, I'm going to follow that same formula that got me into the engineering program. I'm going to interview, I'm going to try to get into the best business school programs. So I applied to the top five business school programs and I ended up getting into the University of Chicago. 
And so, of course, I go head to the University of Chicago straight off my engineering degree. And I'm thinking, what does Chicago do well? They put out like the finance gods of the world who all become investment bankers and they retire at 30 with their own private islands. That sounds like the job for me. So I started to take the finance classes. And of course, the first like quarter in or semester in, I was like, oh my God, I hate these finance courses. They make no sense to me. I was very used to formulas and formulas predict things. And then, then they tell you the, the stock market and it's like all this theory and you're like, oh, Oh my God. Like somebody was an math problem, you know? So I just, I that was, that I just couldn't do that. So I started to take strategy and negotiations and marketing classes. And one was this class called New Products Lab, where they take you as a team. There's like, there were seven of us, I think, on the team, and you are assigned to a company, brilliant, really, on the part of University of Chicago, because they go out and they find these companies and they get these companies to pay them, the university, and then they in turn give them a host of business school students to work for them for six months on whatever project they want. And so, the Chicago makes money, we get experience and somebody else pays for it. So American Airlines was the company I worked for and did that for six months, kind of in their, their new business area and in their marketing area, which was really, really fun. And they offered me an internship. So I stayed and in, in, was there for the summer, you know, interning as well. And that was super fun. And by the time I finished with that, I was like, okay, so this is good. I love, I love this marketing thing. And so when it came time to the, you know, for a final job, that was an option for me, but I ended up choosing Ford Motor Company because Ford was like, for, for me, it was a perfect match. I could be strategy, I could be marketing, but I could do it in an environment that was a bit more quantitative, operationally and manufacturing driven, which, which kind of suited me. So I went there and was there for seven years and the probably the biggest, you know, I did lots of things helping set up Ford Motor Company in Korea. And, you know, I just, I kind of was a sponge attitude, but the job that was most sort of interesting and exciting there was, was launching the Ford Focus in the United States for the first time back in 1999. So now you know just how old I am. And so I was, I, it was a pretty fun job and we did things totally different and out of the box, very digital. And then 99, you know, nobody was doing big digital anything. And so that's where I started to get the taste for this sort of out of the box, different way of thinking about marketing. And then in 2000, Daimler-Benz, you know, the owner of the Mercedes-Benz company bought Chrysler and they in turn pulled this guy named Jim Schreier, who's a longtime mentor of mine over to be their head of marketing sales and service. And he in turn pulled myself and another person over and I was running Dodge marketing for a while. And we created that thing, got a Hemi campaign and I created the Dodge Grab Life by the Horn. It was Dodge different before the, the campaign pain, you know, for the whole brand. And then by that, you know, a couple of like a year and a half later, I was CMO for Chrysler Jeep and Dodge and did that. And I was, you know, there for five years after having been at Ford for like seven years. And it became clear that like I was at sort of the top marketing job in the company. And it was, I was not even 35. And so I was like, what do I do? If I don't get out of auto, I probably won't be able to get out of auto and ever because it, you kind of get pigeonholed in an industry if you're in there too long. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to just sort of be done with like the moving up in my career. So I wanted more challenges and different opportunities. So I started to look for different things. I ended up taking the SVP of Marcom for Walmart and was there just under a year. And then I went and started my own company, a marketing consulting company that I had for five years. And in that time period, Bill McDermott, who was then CEO of SAP, had been trying to get me to come over there. And I was like, I don't really know anything about like this technology, like ERP and like, what do you want me to do to market it? And anyway, we we finally kind of figured out what it would we could do and kind of convinced me to come over. And I came over in um, 2012 to be his chief storyteller, which was a totally new job. And the idea was to try to talk about what 
the software did in terms of the voice of the customer, actually in this case, the customer's customer. And that was, it was a super fun job and I loved it. But then I had, it, while I was there, I was also on a board of a company that my best friend from the auto days was CEO of. And we ended up selling that company. And she of course was scooped up immediately because she's an amazing rock star. And she went to be CEO of Abra Auto Body and Glass. And she reached out and she's like, so Julie, of course, the next logical step in your career of all these really great titles is to be CMO of Abra Auto Body and Glass. Everybody, of course, has heard of that, not. But what was exciting about it was, of course, the people that I could work with. So it wasn't just Anne. It was also this other group of people that either I had worked with before or was like one degree of separation. And there's something about one of my lessons of life is, is strategy culture eats strategy for lunch and culture is the most important thing. And if you can just do, even if it's not the best thing in the world, if you can do it with people you love, it's far more fulfilling than to do something, a job where you might really love the job, but hate the people you work with, or just don't jive with the people you work with. That's a miserable experience. And so the culture piece was a big sell for me. And it didn't hurt that I really thought that this was a Harvard case study in the making, because if you've ever had to get if you ever had to take your car to a body shop, I don't mean like a Pep Boys, but I mean like a body shop. You know, it's so painful. So you have to call your insurance carrier. You have to call multiple body shops. Then you have to bring your car in and get an estimate. Then you have to call, wait for them to call you to tell you what that is. Then you have to drop it off. And then you hope and pray by the phone that this person that you've given your second most prized possession to probably is going to call you back and tell you just anything about what they're doing to your vehicle. And to me in a world where I can order a pizza, I can know when they're online, I can know when they're putting pepperoni in it, I can know how many minutes are left in the oven, and I can watch it on a map as the car is driving towards me that I can't know anything digitally about something of this like nature. And so for me, that was what was exciting. And that's why I went and we we had a great time with it. And we did really great things with the company. I'm really proud of, of our team and what we did. And we were able to flip it and sell it to another collision center in 18 months. And I was there helping to integrate. And that's when sort of the conversational came up, as I was saying earlier, is that it came up because I had that sort of time period. But one of the independent board members of Abra happened to pull me aside at one of our celebration dinners at the end. And he said, hey, would you consider going to work for a um, public company again? And I was like, well, sure. And he's like, okay, great, because I'm chairman of Party City. And I think he was up there and I was like, really? Party City? Ooh. And it was, you know, my experience had been, which look, I think the experience, I'm happy to say we are definitely improving it. And it's certainly getting better, but we've got a long way to go in our transformation plan. But it, it was that, you know, stack it high and watch it fly warehouse feel. And that just, that just doesn't speak to what I think most consumers want to experience. And so that was ultimately the hook and they were bringing on a new CEO. And so I wasn't going to join, of course, because of my culture statement until I met and spent time with the CEO to really make sure that we dived and understand the team. And I, Brad Weston is the CEO. He started in August of 18, no, August of 19. And I started in December of 19. And our chief merchant started in November of 19. And we have a new head of HR and a new CIO and a new CFO and all these new, new, all kinds of everything. And it just speaks to the new vision of the company, which is really to move us from being the seller of just the party product to the provider of the entire party experience, which of course translates to all the experiences both in the store and online have to change. If in fact, we're going to help the customer create their own experiences end to end. So anyway, that is the long winded story of how from A to B, how I got here and why I am where I am. 
I love it. And the diversity of experience that you have is unbelievable. <laughs> like engineer to finance to marketing across many different industries, successful in every single stop. I mean, like, it's amazing. Look, it always looks good on paper. Of course, there's bumps always along the way. Not every moment was super successful. I've had my, as I mentioned, share of Hoshimo's in my life, but it is those that really help to define, I think, how you, you make choices. And it's, it's it's the reason why, you know, when people ask me if there's one piece of advice you can give anybody starting out in business, what is it? And, you know, I think there's a, like, trust your gut instinct, because it usually doesn't fail you if there's some, if you just really are in tune with that. But otherwise, you know, my, my written statement is culture eats strategy for lunch, culture, culture, culture. Look, once you have enough skills, training, confidence, there's, there's not, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to be the best at everything, but you can do just about anything. And if you can't do it, you probably know somebody who can to help you. Like, you know, there's, there's ways to get things done smartly. What's very challenging to change is culture, is the environment you work in, the people that you work with, and just their kind of personal culture. And so that's, for me, that's sort of the, the, kind of the why I think I've had success where I've had is really the places where I've really shown were really because of the environment that I was able to work in. Gotcha. We have a large group of listeners, obviously, in the U.S. that probably know and understand Party City. We have some outside the U.S. Can you just briefly like describe kind of the scope of Party City? I know you're you're a retailer, but also you manufacture and there's like a vertical integration element to what you guys do as well. Yeah. And actually, most people in the U.S., I don't think know that actually, even though this is where we have the heart of our, our retail. Yeah. People are always surprised when I tell them, but yes, we, so Party City is part of Party City Holdings, Inc. or PCHI. And the company is made up of, I mean, there's a few of the, the entities that are particularly the biggest elements, obviously Party City Retail. We have about 750 retail stores. So they're kind of big box-ish. They're not as big a box as many of the big box, but they're sort of that kind of thing, sometimes standalone and, and sometimes in kind of in those strip malls types of thing. That's the retail side. And then we've got the manufacturing side and the wholesale side. We produce, we design, produce, manufacture roughly 80% of what we sell inside of Party City. And it equates to, you know, like anywhere between 40 and 60% of what you might find in party aisles inside of other retailers. So we, again, we've got a pretty big presence and our biggest presence is in blue. So we own a company called Anagram based in Minneapolis that is the world's largest producer of Mylar balloons. And for those of you who don't know the difference between a Mylar balloon or a latex balloon, Mylar balloons are like those big foil balloons, the printed colorful, they, when you put helium in, they last really long. And the latex are the kind of the, they're kind of rubbery feeling that, you know, fill up, they don't last as long, but those are latex balloons. So we have owned the largest Mylar. So the foil balloon company. And we, of course, sell more balloons at Party City than anywhere. But many other people like grocery stores and places like that who sell Mylar balloons, most of them probably source them from Anagram. So that's, and then we've got manufacturing, you know, costumes, plates and cups and things like that around, around the world. But that is, that's largely what PCHI is encompassed of. Encompasses. Awesome. That's perfect. So 2020, we're in 2021. We crossed over this year <laughs> in our discussion, but 2020 was a challenging year. How did you guys reinvent yourselves during that period of time? I mean, because it is, you're all about celebrations. At least I think about it, right? You're all about the party. <laughs> yeah, well, you mean party and pandemic are not synonymous. Are you kidding? Right? <laughs> well, I definitely party in my house by myself, but I, <laughs> I, it, it's a sight to be seen. Yeah, our bottle of wine. We had our own pity parties. We were good at that. No, I think, <laughs> look, 
pandemic and party, sadly, were not synonymous or the thing that if there was something mentioned not to do, it was typically to party. So that was a struggle. And it was obviously 2020 was designed for a, to be a transformational year. So I told you about the fact that we largely added it. Well, certainly a new CEO, a new vision, a new transformation plan, a very much a largely new executive team. And so you come in and you've got these plans and we were feeling really good about what we were going to do. And boom, like 90 days later, <laughs> and so as a team, this kind of goes to that culture piece. What I love about working with this team, I mean, it just, it suits me really well is that we're all kind of a, I say a fail fast forward. There's never an intention to fail, but it's what I mean by that is it's always a sense of let's think it through. Let's be smart, but let's not, you know, measure a thousand times and cut once let's go for it and let's learn, let's test and learn, test and learn. And so we decided to do that and use the, the pandemic as an opportunity instead of just, you know, hoping to survive it. We really wanted to thrive during it. And so we had built plans, of course, along this, this trajectory to get to providing the entire party experience. Meant we, of course, had to up our services like curbside delivery, like same day delivery, which we'd never had had. And so we stood those up in the midst of the pandemic. In fact, some of my auto day came, came, became pretty beneficial in that I was able to call the Hertz team that we knew. Of course, when you have a collision company, you'd rent, you have to have rental cars for your customers. So I knew the rental car people pretty well. And of course, during a pandemic, they're not renting a lot of cars and they didn't have people who were being terribly overly utilized. So we struck up a unique business model where they were going to be delivering, doing same day delivery for balloons and party supplies. And within eight days of me making the first phone call, we were making our first delivery. Now it was wildly manual, totally imperfect, <laughs> but it was totally the right thing to do. And of course, over the next couple of months, we started to create an automated system, integrate it into chat and, you know, just a lot of the things that you would expect from a, a grown up same day delivery service. And we by no means are perfect. There's still, there's so much to learn. And you see that from other retailers, it's, there's a lot, lot of expectation and, and there's just a lot of variables. So we are working really hard to improve on that. But the whole notion was that this is an opportunity for us to do what was right for our customer and same day delivery is probably more important for us than almost any other retailer I can think of, maybe except maybe large swing sets or something. Because balloons, if you've ever had to pick up balloons and put them in your car. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, like it's like a clown. It's like a clown car video, right? It's crazy. If you can cram them in, then you just certainly can't see, right? And God forbid if you don't have a minivan and you drive around in a Prius or something, because then forget about it. So this is a really important part of, I think, delivering the party is to make it easy for the customer to be able to get what they need. And that certainly entailed balloon delivery. So those were a couple of things that we did. We also used it as an opportunity to streamline you know, our product offering. And we, we really went deep on trying to understand the customer need during the pandemic, which was obviously very different than during normal times. So the virtual birthday parties and birthday parades and graduation parades all have become part of our lexicon. Well, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You have to have packages to make it easy for the customer to be able to do that. And for us, it was more than just saying, okay, look, here, we've got a great birthday car kit or a great graduation car kit. By the way, I have a 2020 high school grad who had to have, (laughs) we had to look through that whole, like, create the personalized signs and balloons and the, you know, the streamers and all that stuff, which luckily because of Party City does all of that. It was, uh, it was, it was very timely for me, but you still had to create those kits to make it easier for people to go online and find it all put together and then to buy it. But we learned that more than just being able to provide that whole package of the party stuff that they would need was trying to provide the inspiration of different ways that you could use it and also how to's and sometimes even shopping lists. So like for the birthday party, for example, we not only created special virtual birthday kits and you can change like, you know, based on like, do you want Spider-Man or do you want Frozen or do you want six people or 12 people, whatever. Of course we did all that, but we also then created these itineraries so that it was like, all right, how to do a Zoom birthday party. Here's how to, here's downloadable games so that when they get on, then you can use these games and you can all interact and play together on Zoom. And when this kit comes to you that you order from the site, Here's how to package up each favor bag. And then you go and you drop them in the driveway of each of the guests and then the guests can pick them up. So you had to figure out how to do this in a safe way, but that would still sort of keep this party alive. And so we were creating that. We did the same thing for poor grad and anniversaries and then summer hit. Oh my God. And then like summer camps parents were flipped out because, you know, oh my God, now the kids aren't in school. I have a job and I can't send them to summer camp. What do I do? So we created these camp itineraries. So you could literally download a full day of activities and itineraries. And then, you know, here was a shopping list of, of the things that you had to do to help to, to feed that. And some of it, you didn't even need stuff. You just, you know, just, here's an activity. So we, we did that as well. And we were able to do that because we brought on a whole set of a team of influencers during the pandemic. And the influencers were very, they weren't just okay, they're great. They've got a lot of followers. We, we chose influencers who spoke to our target audiences, but who also had sort of event experience who were, whether it was professional or just personal, they were like the kind of person in the neighborhood where everybody goes to when they have to put on their party because they're the best at like figuring out how to put on the best party, right? Those are the kinds of influencers that we got on board. And we created this thing called a joy squad. And we created an area on the site where people could go and they could literally chat with Joy Squad members and they could look at the Joy Squad posts and the images and be inspired by that and then click to be able to get everything that that Joy Squad member had had used to put together whatever they were showing. So we just, we leaned in heavily that way to like the social, the influencer, the how-tos, the video how-tos, the free downloadable content and itineraries and things that just really truly spoke to making joy easy. I mean, at the end of the day, that is what we were here for. And, you know, now that knock on wood, somewhere banging on my own head here that we're going to be coming out of the pandemic, we're really hoping for a lot of pent up party in people and that it'll go being a bit more of the traditional party. But I think what we're going to find is that let's circle around to graduations again this year and let's hope and pray for those kids that they're going to have a, a graduation where they can all be in the same gym or whatever together. I still think from based on what we've seen and heard that they're going to combine sort of the traditional grad elements with some of those cool new things that happened in 2020 out of necessity, like the parades and the banners and all those kinds of things. And so 
look, I'm a glasses half full kind of person. I think there was a lot of positive that came out of what could have otherwise been seen as a total, a total drag, especially in the party world. <laughs> yeah, no. I, and the number of ideas that you guys just rolled out to market. I mean, it's uncanny. I mean, the, the same day delivery with Hertz in eight days, I think if I heard you right, like that is amazing. Well, and to your point, like I, I think you've created potentially like a whole new category, right? Like, which is this parties at a distance. <laughs> and even in normal times, you've got, you know, folks that can't make it to your party for whatever reason or your celebration, whatever you're trying to celebrate. And now we have like a, a language, if you will, I'm using that as like a metaphor. We have a language of how to, how to celebrate with people that aren't in the same room with us, which is kind of interesting. A hundred percent. No, I, I, like I said, they think there is a silver lining to all this. Like I said, whether it's the parade or exactly to your point, like birthdays and you know, you can't, you can't always afford to fly for everybody's special event. And the other is that what we were trying to do is get people is to see celebration around every corner. And what I mean by that is other than just being self-serving for Party City to, you know, want to celebrate everything is that it really seemed that at this time period, we needed to help people find reasons to, to celebrate and be happy. And so this is why the balloon delivery we thought was really important because you could send flowers to people. Of course, you can send candy. But, you know, a balloon is a little unexpected. It's very affordable. And, you know, I, I always say I defy somebody not to smile when they're handed a balloon. It's like an impossible thing not to do. You may not always love the candy you get when you open it up if you're not like a colored, you know, chocolate covered cherries kind of person. But there's, I don't know anybody who hates hates a balloon. You know what I mean? So there's, there's something about like, I'm thinking of you, the that we just wanted to girls night in. We just wanted to do things to help people see the celebration. And I hope that in addition to some of these other things that we were just discussing, that that lives on too. Because I think it's an easy, positive way to, to, to spread joy. Yeah, no. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that you guys celebrated the end of 2020 in a remarkable way with your forget you twist on 2020 or F you 2020. Yeah, FU 2020. It's very funny. So I got to give Sean Thompson, our, our he's our chief commercial officer, chief merchant who gave the green light for that early on and came to me. He's like, do you think we could do? I'm like, oh, dude, we are going to rock this. This is you are talking to the right girl for this. I love this kind of thing. Anything that stands out in a crowd of just a different way, and especially something that I think is so viscerally taps into a truth, which is what everybody was thinking and feeling for this New Year's Eve, was like a godsend. So I, you know, look, it's if the product wouldn't have been there, the marketing would not have been as fun. But you know, what what I loved is we were able to use a ton of social, you know, videos and media to to really bring all the all the stuff, you know, the entire set of merchandise to life around the FU 2020 stuff. We even had a video with CeeLo Green, but FU, right? YouTube, right? You know, the whole thing. It was so he did a little, little, little bit of a clip with us for the FU 20. Just great stuff, you know? And I think it just, I think it touched people exactly. And we were not trying to be vulgar. And that's why, you know, it's forget you 2020. You know, if people wanted to take it their other way. That was up to them that, but this, we were all about forget you 2020 and, and it was done tastefully and it was just fun and it, it turned out to be very successful. So maybe, maybe it'll hang around depending on how the rest of 21 goes right now. I'm kind of ready to forget 21 so far too. <laughs> I imagine it will hang around. Now they shut down travel again to Europe. I'm like, ah, oh, so. Exactly. Well, and one of my favorite, I mean, to your point about a common truth, like everyone was feeling the same way. Like one of my favorite ads that came out over the last quarter was the match.com Satan and 2020 match that was made. I mean, Ryan Reynolds just nails everything that he does apparently, but uh, that was awesome. He's a riot. He's funny. 
as we think about 2021, I mean, you talked about some of what you expect 2021 to look like, which will be kind of a hybrid, right, of people, hopefully people celebrating in real life um, with people that they love and, and want to celebrate with. But also there's probably going to be a little bit of a mix. What are you thinking about? Like, what are you seeing in terms of customer trends as you think about 2021? So we're seeing a lot of a lot of people are planning to do reduce. So you think about birthdays, graduations, some of the anniversaries. I had a big anniversary and a big birthday over pandemic kind of sucked, you know, um, my son graduated. I mean, all of us can relate to that. And so I think it'll be like the, the plus one version of it. People are going to look to blow out. So I think that whether it's a redo or it's just a really big, a bigger version of maybe that celebration this year, that's what we're seeing and hearing a lot of. I think some of the other day that we're getting back is not unexpected and that people are expecting to continue to have the event be a bit smaller to start until there's a greater comfort. So maybe by the time we get to, you know, around to Halloween, things will be, you know, knock on wood wide open. But until then, I think there's a lot of, you know, and I think it's, it's caution and, and as it should be until we can feel good about being together and the vaccine can get rolled out in, in a greater number. But in general, I think that we're, we're looking optimistic, cautiously optimistically for the rest of the year. Like I said, a little of that pent up party, I hope gets unleashed to special black half of the year. But until then, the nice thing is that it's people, there's certainly pandemic fatigue. There's no doubt. I think that there's a little bit of virtual party fatigue because people just are jonesing to get together. But I think there's a lot of what we've been able to create that makes that virtual party feel lively and real or the celebrations. People are really, they, they've used that decor element to a much greater degree since the pandemic started than ever before. And I think it's because also we're stuck in the same surroundings. And so jazzing it up or just doing something different looks and feels good. I think it's why the, you know, like the home improvement industry has had such a, a boom as well. But I think the same is true for simple things like decorations and balloons and plates and favors and things that, you know, for the Super Bowl or for the playoff game or Mardi Gras or, whatever. you know, I mean, I think that even though it may not be done in the traditional way, people are looking to to celebrate again, just to just to break up the monotony of the home homeschool, homework situation. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And if you think about like you could react to your marketing or just marketing in general, how do you envision marketing in 2021, I guess, is my question. Like, what does it look like? No, I think the pandemic certainly, like the world was largely digital anyway, but I think I think there's no doubt that the whole world has gone to, you know, online shopping as the primary factor. It doesn't mean people don't want to go to brick and mortar or that they're not going to, but the digital, the role that digital plays in the shopping journey has escalated by a large factor, as have these services, the curbside, the same day, the buy line pickup and store, all those kinds of things have just skyrocketed. And I think those things will continue because now they're convenience, right? It's not a necessity. It's still a little bit of a necessity, but it's not as much of a necessity anymore. It's just a convenience and an expectation. And so I think that those kinds of things will stay. The digital, really the, the digital world is just, it's not like it wasn't front and center, but it is acutely so now in all, I mean, in, whether it's in-store and like a scan and go, or like I said, the, the different ways that you can get, get your product to you or whether it's online and even online. I mean, I can tell you over the pandemic, I just, I'm, I shop online, but I had never really used Instagram to shop. You know, I'd use Instagram for photos. Not really. I can't tell you how much junk I bought that I don't need off of Instagram. <laughs> I mean, like I, there, this is e-commerce is 
in every social medium now. And I think that that has continued to escalate and will continue. So I think those are some of the things that I've seen really burgeon and would expect to continue to see from a marketing standpoint that that's where you're going to see marketers continue to drive to. Right, right. Well, and from a business model standpoint, that's not all of those trends are not necessarily a bad thing, even for somebody like Party City, like the way that you're strategically positioned, you know, your wholesale in vertically integrated manufacturing, you have a, a good footprint, but it's not like your Starbucks or or Walmart with like thousands and thousands and thousands of stores. So you, I feel like you're well positioned and, and you've got all these things working for you. We are. And even in the brick and mortar versions, you know, we are, we've got a lot of what we're calling our next generation stores and we've got about 30 have been redone and more this year. And we've just taken down the sight lines dramatically. We've taken out thousands and thousands of SKUs. We've created the circular balloon counter in the center. So it's very theatrical and inviting. And it, it feels like a party store. It doesn't feel like an, a lot of stuff. It feels very fun and engaging. And so even it's forced us for even, even though maybe we don't have as many, 750 stores to me still feels like a lot of stores. That is a lot of stores. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Like some people still want to shop. They want to go and see it all and touch it all. And look, there's candy. And it's a fun store to shop in if you're going to go shopping. And so it's important for us to actually live up to that expectation. And so these next gen stores that we're, we are converting to, I think are, are going to meet that mark of customer expectation. I think that's going to continue to be the push too, that you can have the digital swing is there for sure, but you can have brick and mortar. It's just that the expectation of that brick and mortar experience, I think has been upped. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're right. And some of the things you talked about earlier about like the kit ideas, the content that you're creating along, along with the, the supplies, if you will, the merchandise, I think that goes a long way too. Yeah. We've got party planners now too, that we've hired. They're actual party planners. They're virtual, they're in person. And so they're there to, most people think party planner. They're like, I could never afford a party planner. Why would I spend that money? It's like ridiculous. Well, this is, you know, this is free. So you can go on, you can chat with them and they can help you. But some people are paralyzed with like, oh my God, I have to have this birthday party or I got to throw this dinner party, whatever. I don't know what to do. I don't. And that's, we know that that's part of the difficulty. And again, it's part of the making joy easy mantra that we have. These party planners play a big role too. So I, you know, that's kind of that, that intersection of the digital and the physical. And I think the ability to have it either way is what's important for us. That's what we're really striving for. Don't want to meet in person, that's fine. Do it digitally, you know, FaceTime or chat. But if you want to meet with somebody one-on-one, you can, like we'll schedule that for you. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to switch gears. One of the things I like to do is to kind of turn the tables around and, and stop talking business, at least in some part, and, and get to know the individual a bit. One of my most favorite questions, frankly, to ask is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Well, I mean, I don't think there's any one. It's certainly a culmination of of many. As I said, I think it's always those those holy shit moments in life that uh, are the ones that did that, you know, that, that do that for you. I mean, you go back and it was from like my parents moving all the time and like kind of being thrown into school where you didn't know anybody. Like there's, it's like you're going to have to either be introverted or extroverted and you just have to make a call. And that defines a little bit of who you are and how you deal with uncomfortable circumstances all the way to like, you know, I'm going to be an engineer. Oh no, I'm not. Like, what do I do? Like, I don't know. I got to make it. There's, I, I could go through and, and if we were to map my life, I could show you these 
peaks of like stress and decision-making and had I chosen differently, my whole life would be totally different. And so, you know, you go all the way through all the way to career and then the choice for Walmart, which was not a great choice for me. I mean, I learned things, but it was a bad culture fit for me. It's you just, it's like, know yourself and you have to know yourself and the kind of environments that you're going to thrive in. And it just, that wasn't it for me. And so, you know, that was a huge, difficult lesson to learn going on my own and being an entrepreneur the most scary, frightening thing I've ever done in my life. Cause I was like, I was the breadwinner of the family and two kids and private school, like all the, like, what do you do if that doesn't work? It's totally, you don't have a backup. Like you don't have a backup plan. It's like, oh my God, it's like sink or swim. But it was a huge move for me and I loved it. I learned so much. And again, without that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so I'm not one for regrets. Does it mean I wouldn't do things differently? No, I, I would for sure do a ton of different things differently, but there's no point in like burning energy on regret. And so I just look at all of those as, as just tipping points that led me to where I am today. And I, you know, I like where I am today. I like what I'm doing. My kids are healthy and happy and, you know, we're by no means perfect, but I feel pretty good about this. And I, um, I feel good about about this company and where we're going. And I'm excited about the amount of transformation. And it's rare to be able to find a, I'm a sucker for a transformation personally. So I, you know, a lot of people would love to go into like Apple, like who wouldn't want to work for Apple? I mean, of course I would love to work for Apple because I just love their products and talking to on one. But at the same time, could I do much to actually help Apple do that much better? I think probably not. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I'm not myself out or anything, but they're, they're pretty darn successful. I don't know. Whereas like here, you know, this is an opportunity where I can maybe offer something that can take this company, I think, to the place where it belongs. So transformations for me are where it's at, but that's not for everybody because there's a lot of stress and uncertainty in that, but that's kind of what I thrive on. Well, you mentioned something earlier, so this might, you may have already answered this question, but what advice would you give your younger self? And, and you said, trust your gut earlier. So maybe is that your advice? Yeah, trust your gut. And and again, that whole kind of culture eat strategy for lunch. I think especially when you're young, I know for me, look, I grew up, I grew up in the in the 80s. And so that was the Reagan rah-rah, like, you know, materialism rules era. So it was all about finding the job and making the most money. And you make choices based on that, on like getting ahead. And look, I, I look, I'm still all for it. I'm, I'm still all for people getting ahead and being ambitious, but there's a caveat, which is there is a price to pay if just doing that at all costs. There's, you know, there's always a, nothing ever is, is quite that easy. And so for me, I put, like I said, this culture piece first, it's happiness is a price that I is, I, I don't have a tag for. So I want to make sure that the, I'm going to be happy in the environment I'm in. And if I can do that, then I think I'm going to be successful success. I think that's the other thing is the definition of success when you're young tends to be very quantitative. And I would suggest that after being on this planet for 50 years, it's qualitative. <laughs> exactly. Well, I have a silly question for you. Has there been an impactful purchase of hundred dollars or less say in the last six or 12 months? It's not a hundred or less. It's probably closer to like 200 ish. It's the Baraby weighted blanket. These weighted blankets. Okay. So there's a company called Baraby, E-A-R-A-B-Y. They sell these weighted blankets. I recommend the velvet napper. It is the one I got. I got one for my, each of my boys. I have a 22 and a 19 year old, two boys, one of each age, each age. I got them and they're big. One was a football player. One's a volleyball player. So I got them the 25 pound and the 20 pound weighted one each. And I got myself a 15 pound one after Christmas when I had gotten them theirs. And they were like, they just like, I, they, they just didn't get up. They laid there. I was like, oh, there's something to this. So I got one. <laughs> 
And I like, I brought it up. Like my husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have to lay under the, so I like on my half of the bed over the comforter was this weighted blanket. And he's like, you, you didn't move. You were like the dead. I'm like, oh no, it was the best sleep ever. So uh, there's something towards like quality sleep because as much as maybe we're all getting more sleep because we're at home, I'm not sure that it's all, all necessarily more restful. I think there's a lot of stress in people's lives. And that weighted blanket is a game changer. I love that idea. I have a weighted blanket as well. And I 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crazy. But my, my wife, it, it drives her crazy. She tried it once and she's like, no, I've got to get this thing off of me. I feel like I'm going to suffocate or something. <laughs> So. Well, they say that. They say that though. You like some people. You have to like use it for three nights in a row, and then you get used to it. I was immediately taken to it though, so I didn't take me three nights. No, me, me either. I, immediately, immediately. Well, uh, two last questions for you. More on the marketing front. Curious if there's brands, companies, or causes that you follow, or you think other people should be taking notice of. I think everybody should take notice of Party City. That would be my. <laughs> Of course. But you know, other than that, it's very, you can't help but wonder as the world shifts, you know, you're looking at pharmaceuticals and what about pharmaceuticals? And then you're looking at all the conspiracy theories of like, well, who's trying to steal our data? And so there's like the tech and the cybersecurity companies. And these are the things that are not in my purview, but that I kind of watch a, because I don't understand them or know them as deeply. Cause I do think that, you know, as we think about the world ahead, that that's a pretty those are going to be pretty interesting pharmaceutical for healthcare, uh, cybersecurity for just protection of people's data. You know, now they're talking government about, oh, just the over, like there's just so much about big tech, right? Big tech is a big topic one way or the other. And then I think lastly is, you know, the environment. I think I was, I was really struck and you kind of knew it would happen as they were looking at, oh, 2020, what happened? And it was like, oh, carbon, guess what? There's the carbon emissions weren't really high in 2020. I can't imagine why. Driving, there was no airplanes, like you know what, of course. But I like again going back to my environmental engineer. Look, I have an environmental engineering degree that I got in like the early '90s, way before environmentally anything was cool. But my my viewpoint was always not necessarily just to shut everything down to spare the environment, but instead to use science to be able to progress without harming the environment. I don't think they have to be. I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive. I think you can do both if you choose to do that. And so I, d I think that every, anything kind of in that green technology sector that allows us to sort of continue to progress and innovate without, without feeling like we're giving things up and without hurting the environment, are, those are the areas. So it's not necessarily a company. They're really more areas that I pay attention to. And an yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, the the cybersecurity and the security piece, or even the conspiracy theories that run rampant. That's I hate to say this, but like, it's marketing in and of itself. So it's kind of interesting to see which ones are successful and what they're doing. I actually have a guest coming up after this episode at some point, and I've had the company on before. It's a company out of Austin, Texas, called Yonder that tries to apply AI technology to understanding the conversations that are happening in the social environment and to try to understand how messages or certain types of thoughts get amplified and how they become essentially quote unquote viral. I hate that word and they do too, but that's the idea. It's interesting. I don't understand it either, but I'm trying to watch it. Yeah. I think there's a lot to learn from it. So it'd be interesting. Yeah. Last question. What do you feel like is the largest opportunity or threat that marketers are facing today? Well, I think the opportunity is the threat in my, in my point of view. And that is, look, I moved 
my title is customer experience. My last one was customer experience. And people are like, well, you shifted. For me, customer experience, much like when I started in marketing, it was like digital was the next evolution of marketing. And then, you know, it's like, then, then there's social. And, you know, for me, experience is just what marketing is now. And the former levers that we had considered marketing are simply levers in ensuring a customer experience and an employee experience for that matter. Because if you don't have a great employee experience, you've got very little chance of having a successful customer experience. So for me, the threat and the opportunity is that, is keeping the eye on the total experience rather than getting mired down in the vertical function that you think you own. So whether you're a supply chain or whether you're IT or a merchant or in packaging, whatever you might be in, whether you're like you are the like front line to the customer or you're somewhere behind the line, you are impacting the customer experience. And I think that if we all and everybody within the company, any company isn't thinking that way, I think that that's the threat. And on the other side, it's the opportunity. If you can find a company where every single person feels that they are responsible in some way for that customer experience and puts that thought into what they do, I believe they have limitless opportunity. Love it. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've learned a ton myself. So well, thank you. it's been fun. Thanks. I haven't had given my whole life story in a long time, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Not that it was very interesting for people necessarily, but it was fun to give. <laughs> awesome. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.